politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, everything that matters, and to see it through to the end. This is the only source of conservative, independent news and views, independent of the grift, independent of groupthink. We just call it as it is, truth and justice, but we don't just call it, we actually drive for outcomes. And as a follow-up of yesterday's pretty fiery show, if you haven't heard it, it's worth your time. I wanted to get more into policy today, which we always strive for. But to seamlessly tie in yesterday's show about where we are and how the Trump versus DeSantis thing is reflective of something larger that reverberated long before the two of them and will continue past that if we don't change the arc of the trajectory. Grifting versus governance. That is our choice. That is our choice every day. Especially as God gives us this opportunity with the overreach of the left and a reawakening of things being wrong. We're exposing, exposing this is happening, that's happening. But now what are you going to do? Are you going to grift off the exposure of but the left but not have your own affirmative path of truth to strive for and achieve? Or will you actually neutralize the threat by implementing structurally where you can, identifying the problem, articulating it, and where you have the ability to, as much as you can, make permanent structural changes to law, policy, society, and culture in a way that will actually save us from all the things we say are going to kill us and our children and our economy and our society if we actually believe in what we mean and what we say This is what we do. Deuteronomy 30.19 This day I call upon the heaven and the earth as witnesses. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. You shall choose life so that you and your offspring will live. It's that simple. It's that simple. We have the opportunity like never before to govern. And I don't mean, see, the other side tries to make it like a nerdy term, like, oh, yeah, you're not a fighter. You just want to go. No, we're not talking about the technocratic way. We're talking about actually using the power that you supposedly have and the sphere of influence you have where it should be a majority position and make permanent changes so that certainly we stop the bad things and the, the, the illegals and the crime and the green grift and the biomedical security state and the training stuff and all that. But actually go a step further and structurally preclude that stuff from happening again. That we have a governance model in accordance with a biblical worldview and liberty. That's what we should have. That's that's what governing is. So today we're going to go back and forth and give examples of what we need to be doing exactly at this juncture, tying in some of the news of the day, to grifting, which is simply the ricochet of exposing, oh, the left's doing this. Okay. Now, there's nothing wrong inherently with exposing and complaining about the left. But here's where it is wrong. Where it is wrong is when you have no core yourself that you will utilize that moment of exposure of the left to drive towards that will cause you to then satiate your natural desires for accomplishment off of simple making a living off of complaining about the left and then therefore that becomes your end game. And therefore, you begin accepting things that as you, you know, claim to expose falseness and injustice on the left, you yourself will also promote falseness and injustice, albeit at di- differing levels, because at least I'm exposing the left and I'm not the left. That's what grift is. And that's a slippery, slippery scale of being just 
oh, we're complaining about them without a plan. You know what this reminds me of? Everyone who says that Trump has exposed the left. And it's true in a sense, but it's also true that if you don't have a plan to deal with it, you're actually worse off than you were even before. It's like, let me give you an, an analogy here. You have a couple of bees that start getting into your house. First it's one or two, then it's three or four. Like, man, what's going on here? And it's bothering you, bothering the kids. And then you finally go outside and you find one place under the downspout near the brick of the house where they could kind of bore holes. You find a massive bee's nest and you uncover it. You exposed it. You found it. You revealed it. Well, that's great. But now, rather than three or four bees, you have 500 very angry bees coming right at you. And you did not put on a beekeeper suit. And you don't have even a can of raid in your hand. So now you're really screwed. That's exactly where we are now. Now, the analogy is not... It's a little bit off because I would say, politically, we have an amazing opportunity to crush them. But structurally, they are still implementing every one of the policies we all on the fake right seem to complain about. They're more successful than ever. That's why they are, right now, we have the worst, it's unpopular. So there's an opportunity. We're at a juncture. We're at a crossroads. But in terms of the policies, they're economic their immigration policies, their social cultural policies, their biomedical policies, they are more successful and continuing than ever before. Outcomes have to matter. And let me give you the first example. Intersecting with, with the biggest, this is what governance looks, looks like. Let me tell you the difference between grift and governance. So today, every time that we we try to talk about anything else and try to forge a plan to change any other policy, anytime DeSantis might show signs of gaining traction, we have another Trump indictment news or the pre-news of the pre-Trump indictment. So now we're on to the third one for January 6th. Okay? And it's no secret that this has changed the landscape of the primary. It's, it's very clear. I don't know the answer to this, but I do wonder if DeSantis would have even run knowing this. Because clearly he ran on the presumption of a certain environment that that he... And he was... I, I wouldn't say necessarily was the odds favored to win, but certainly had a good chance. And then, boom. Suddenly, he was indicted. Now, ask yourself a question. Should anything have changed from these voters that understood that DeSantis is so much better at implementing everything you want before or after just because he is indicted? No. But we have a base that has been acculturated by a leadership that has no ideological core and not just abstract principle, but also practically what they want to achieve and how and where they want to achieve it. So they define everything by the victimhood of, oh, but, but the left, but the left, right? Everything is the grift. But the left. So he's the biggest but the left. Now, obviously, ironically, they're playing into the left. See, a lot of people are like, well, Daniel, how do you know that they're trying to get him the nomination? Maybe it's the opposite, that they're going after him so much because they're really scared of him. They're really scared of him. Well, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> If, they, if the left didn't know that it would cause this the first time, certainly now that we're on indictment number three, they do know this, that it is dramatically improving his standing. So if they meant to knock him out of the race, if that was their original motivation, they clearly wouldn't have continued down this path. It is a lot more likely that they know it will endear him to the base and will get him to win the nomination, which is exactly what they want, because we all know who they are really scared of. And it's not just who they're scared of, but a movement that that win could possibly spawn, which is one of effective, ruthless governance rather than distracting grift while the left just keeps running up the score on, on the actual field. We're out there hanging out with the cheerleaders, enjoying the hot dogs at the concession stand, but they're on the field and doing their thing. 
They want to continue that. They don't want an aggressive team on the field to counter them. In the arena of outcomes, they don't want that. And that's why they're continuing. And to be fair to Trump, the more I think about it, I don't think... See, until now, you might have gotten the impression, and I've maybe kind of said this, that Trump is distracting our people, he's he's dumbing our people down, he's getting our people accepting of liberal ideas like, like Bruce Jenner and whatever, and the COVID shots, and we can never build a movement until we get rid of him. To be fair, I think it's really more accurate that Trump is a reflection of the ideologically rudderless conservative movement leadership rather than a causation. I really think that. Because honestly, it was like that before too. It's not like, I mean, how do you have for years after years, the left being able to pick our nominees? Romney and McCain, all these people. And then up and down the ballot, senators, governors, red states. How do you have mask mandates for months on end in deep red counties within deep red states? How do you have the green grift to this day going on and Christy Nome doing her thing with the land grab and all this other stuff? How do you have that? It's because we're busy focusing on, but the Democrats, while in our own spheres of influence with three to one, five to one super majorities, we're, we're not only not doing affirmatively positive things, but we're actually excelling in, in the case of green energy. I mean, more in the red states than the blue states. And this is continuing. So to be fair, as I said in 2016, when Trump came along, this all predated him. I mean, it puts more of a flair on it. I think he's more endearing, obviously, than a George W. Bush or whatever. And it will continue after him if we don't change the course and change our focus. Only a group of people with no ideological core can be taken in by this. And be it's like, we keep like pulling our hair out. How are we okay with the Bruce Jenner stuff? How are we okay with what he said about the heartbeat bill? With what they said about the Bud Light boycott? With what he said about Disney? With what he said about the vaccine? How are we okay with that? How are we okay with the First Step Act? We're okay with it because we're okay with all the liberal governance in every other state and federally that we've been dealing with for, for my entire life. Because there is no ideological core other than look at the Democrats. That is the central critique of where we are. Why conservatives don't have an ideological core? We could debate that. We could talk about that. But, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's no free money. So you need a meal ticket. And so you'll never be able to be intrepid in fighting for a cause because inevitably you're going to have to tether your views to where you're getting your money from. There's several other reasons as well. I believe the left has their A-team in the public sector. We have our smarter people in the private sector. And frankly, a lot of the people that get involved in this business just have low IQ. I'm sorry. I just don't know how to say it better. Both the elected so-called conservatives and then the shock jocks, they're just dumb as hell. So they don't even realize Again, they're, they're dumber than John Fetterman because John Fetterman never once scored points for the opposing team. Our guys do that every day. But the biggest governance I want to get to is the budget bill. And I want to tie in the budget to the fact that this is much greater than a presidential election. It's much more imminent and urgent than waiting till January 2025. And it will tie in the Trump indictment as well. First, we are sponsored very appropriately as we talk about the budget and the debt, Birch Gold. Look, central banks are already divesting from the bank, from uh, the US dollar as official currency. They're moving on to digital currency. So you're going to want a tangible asset. You also have inflation. The bottom line is, and I'm going to write about this more, but we are in a trap where the only way prices will ever come down is a massive recession, which there are signs roughly quarter two of, of 2024 is when it will come. But anyway, that's why I recommend Birch Gold. If you text Daniel to 989898, they'll send you a free info kit on gold. And that is a way you could put your IRA, your 401k into something of value without funding the woke nonsense, which is not even going to give you a good rate of return anymore. 
With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold has been helping my listeners for months now. And you know, I myself now have an account. So again, text Daniel to 989898. Claim your free info kit because central bank digital currency might become a reality. It would sure be nice to have something tangible to depend upon. So here's what governance looks like. Governance looks like if we had an entire movement of the top 50 voices writing a letter to Kevin McCarthy and saying, Kevin, here's the deal. You have 12 appropriation bills that fund every aspect of government. It's not just a budget figure. We need to severely cut spending. But more than that, we need to address every agency of every department, every policy. But not just to kind of do like a quick, you know, 100 amendment vote in the middle of the midnight when no one's paying attention. But to drag it out and do it out in the open and message and, and change hearts and minds on the issues of our time. Educate people on January 6th. Educate them on the weaponization of government. Obviously, the biomedical security state, right? And what you would do is, we talked about, we have the budget bills, we have the FAA authorization, we have the NDAA, we have pandemic and hazard preparedness reauthorization, we have the farm bill. Announce that we are serious about governing and we're going to cancel the August recess, or most of it, maybe give them off a week, but not six weeks, or five, five to six weeks, cancel it, and every day have a policy and communications plan. And you divide up your conference. I know you're going to laugh, like, but a man could dream. I, I got to lay in front of you the good and the life as we face death and evil. I have laid before you good and bad. So I'm going to lay before you, th- this is very achievable if we had a sane movement and party. And you divide up your conference between different expertise, different committees, and each day you take up another appropriation bill. HHS, so we're going to have our healthcare people every day bang away at the lack of informed consent and the Joseph Mengele stuff going on with the vaccines and promoting them on pregnant women and all this stuff, boom, 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 and now we're going to defund it. Done. And you have, obviously, DOJ appropriation bill. Boom, 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 boom. Go through it, go through it explain to people, juxtapose what they did to the J6ers versus BLM. All the data we have, all the narratives we have, go through it. And with that, by the way, defund the prosecution of Trump as well. I mean, it doesn't help with the Alvin Bragg thing, but that's a joke anyway. But the Florida one and the DC one with January 6th, defund it. Prohibit funding. But also, not just about Trump, it's got to be about all of us. About the and, and by the way, I just want to make make the point here for those who are wondering why they're going after Trump if they if they don't perceive him as a threat. Again, they want him to win the primary, but it's also it's 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 more dynamic than that too. They want it, it's a message to all of us. They want to criminalize our beliefs. So they're taking you know whether you like it or not, and I don't like it, but he is the biggest idol and reflection of the right. So that's what they're going to go after. You know, they'll go after the next person, too. So you defund that. And then you come into September. And and while Biden is in Delaware doing his thing and the Senate Democrats are out for six weeks, you are showing that you are cutting spending every day. You, you message about inflation. See, the debt used to be a joke. Everyone would say the debt is too high, but no one cared because it was just a number on paper. But now, it's un- COVID changed that. It, we spent $9 trillion. No, no, sorry. We spent a lot more. We accrued $9 trillion in deficits since COVID. That's insane. In 40 months, $9 trillion. It took until like our founding until, I want to say 2009 or so. To accrue that much. And that's what we did in three years. Nine trillion. The people feel that. Do you know that last month in June, we are now at an annualized rate. If you look at the monthly, just interest on the debt. Because the, the interest rates down and, and the sheer size of the debt. $900 billion. Meaning it surpassed the military. 
Government spending grew by 15% last month, $646 billion, but revenues plummeted, down 9.8%. Overall, $823 billion in new debt was issued just in the month of June, about $1.1 trillion since the debt ceiling was increased. And that's insane because officially unemployment is very low. Meaning that is the most debt we've ever accrued in a month in history aside from April 2020, which was the effect of um, the CARES Act and the COVID, you know, Fourth Reich stuff. Aside from that, a random June of this year when, you know, the economy's not great, but it's not a recession or a depression or a shutdown. That is insane. It's not hard to message this. So what's happening is all that new debt, that trillion dollars is all at 5.1, servicing rather than 1.5% like it was you know, one to two years ago. And all the now you have $32.5 trillion in debt that the old debt is constantly going to mature, but mature and re, be refinanced now at, a, at, at triple the rate. And the rates are going to have to be that high indefinitely unless there's a crash, which will be even worse. So interest on the debt itself. See, we used to warn about this, but no one cared. But now... It is the third most expensive expenditure of all of government. There's HHS is the highest. That's because Medicare and Medicaid, because healthcare is retarded, and no one wants to broach that. And then number two is Social Security. And then interest on debt is just below it. So Social Security, we spent $131 billion in the month of June. $131 billion. Interest on the debt was 122.5, just below it. Do you know what the military was? DOD, 74,000, 74,800,000,000. So significantly, almost like a third more than the military, we spent on nothing more than interest on debt. Did you know that every year we have Tax Freedom Day? It's usually like April 18th or so, meaning that it takes from January 1st till April 18th for the average person to pay off their tax liability and begin earning 100% profit, if you kind of account for it that way. So, you know, a full more than a quarter of a year. You're now working for nothing more than paying interest on the debt. Put another way, in the month of June, we spent more money on interest on the debt then commerce, education, energy, homeland security, HUD, interior, justice, labor, state, transportation, and veterans affairs, which is very expensive. And, and mind you, none of us think that those bureaucracies are cheap. It is utterly insane. That is why we are at a permanent, vicious trap of high interest rate, high debt, high interest on the debt, reinforcing each other, then insane inflation because you have to print the money to service it, so then you have the inflation, and then the cost of living is so bad that even though we're not in an official recession yet, but it's dampening tax revenues, right? Because your margins are smaller. So that's what's happening now. It's a double whammy, and the two get reinforced. The more debt we have, the more, the more outlays the government's going to have and the less revenue they're going to have. Nothing to do with taxes, with tax policy. The debt is actually now working both sides. So relative to last June, um, spending was up 15%. Revenue was down 9.8%. And Biden will tell you the employment's great and this and that. This is the message Kevin McCarthy needs. It was just yesterday when I was writing columns, you know, like all of us, that Republicans lost the 2006 election to Nancy Pelosi took over for the first time in 12 years. They lost the House. 
because of the spending, and Republicans spent worse than the Democrats. That era that we said, you know, the, the, the line that Republicans spend like drunken sailors mainly came from that era. That was when debt was 61% of GDP. Now it's 123%. So we are at a point where it's a vicious, vicious cycle that they can't get around. 18% of all our spending is just interest on the debt. And that number is obviously going to grow exponentially in the coming months and certainly years. McCarthy could stand before the people and say, directly tie this to cost of living. Because there was a long period of time in the, nine, in, the, in, the, in the 2000s, it was just like, we knew it would happen, but the, the interest payments were low and, and, and inflation was low. So people didn't care. They didn't care about it. Even if they would say they care about it in a poll, but they didn't really care about it. Now it's a different ballgame. And that's just the spending. But then you message each of the policies. And then obviously getting to Trump himself. The persecution, the prosecution. Why is it that Trump has never called upon Kevin McCarthy to defund the prosecution in the Justice Appropriation Bill, it's called Commerce Justice Science. So it funds the Commerce Department, Justice Department, and then like National Science Foundation, a couple other related loose agencies. Maybe NASA is thrown in there, but I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, that's the probe spill, but be it as it may. So how come Trump never called upon, how come his, all the, you know, MAGA leaders, all the people that spoke at Toilet Paper USA, how come they never talk about that? I mean, this is the worst thing around. We can't live. But their answer is, vote for Mitha Twomp. But again, putting aside whether Mitha Twomp could win, but he won't be president until January 20, 2025. Like, that's not going to help him. He'll be in jail by then, by a long shot. I mean, everyone agrees to that. So if that is really a problem, if this is really about Justice and truth, and, 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 and not just Trump, but all of us. Why is everything just Trump, 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 Trump is an end to itself to make sure he gets the nomination and not, we better have a defund fight, but let's do it in an articulate fashion. And I think canceling the August recess and having a whole, you know, every day you have a press conference on another point of it. How come they're, they're not calling for that? The answer is because one is governance and one is grift. To just say, see, they don't care because they know. I don't think they fear Trump ultimately losing his life. He might be under house arrest at Mar-a-Lago, but he'll enjoy his life, unlike his supporters who will rot in jail. But it's all about the grift. Their future is tethered to him, and they can't be viewed as alienating him. You, know, you see Tucker's new um, network. It's going to be partnering with Don Jr.'s company. I mean... Everyone sees that a, a switch was flipped with him, and he just just totally, totally went nuts. And by the way, I just want to point out, and I know I'm all over the place today, but we'll we'll get through this. We'll finish the point. Tucker is the one who goaded Trump into more draconian lockdowns. You know that. Tucker complained that Trump wasn't taking COVID seriously enough. And and look, I, I felt it was serious, but in a very different way. I was like, it's a bioweapon, and you need treatment for it, but this stuff is stupid. Tucker did it in a low IQ way and just gave in to the Democrat fear. I mean, he's this big hero on COVID, but I'm just going to tell you, he did not arrive to our position. And I don't just mean like a month or two later. It was way later. He he he, he slowly – it was gradual. I mean, he slowly dipped his toe in. But, but he – someone – one could argue – that he is the single most influential force that that got Trump like all in on it. One could argue that. Somehow that seems to have gotten pigeonholed, and we're supposed to forget that. That is a big deal, and no one has a good answer for that. But he's God. I'm a nobody. You know, he he has done so much for us. I mean, we couldn't live without Mitataka. 
It's a twamp and mitzataka. Okay. But anyway, why isn't Tucker calling for that? Could you imagine the pressure if Tucker would have just said what I said? Cancel the August recess, make a massive defund fight. And and I just want to explain why I mean cancel the August recess. Let me just kind of explain what I mean by governance. To be fair, right now, Republicans legitimately are passing relatively decent appropriation bills out of the Appropriations Committee. Um, some of them even do have spending levels below the debt ceiling deal, and they do have not all, but a number of the provisions that y- you and I would want. Now, no, to- notably, they're not going to defund Ukraine. They're not going to defund the vaccines. They'll defund the mandates, which they're doing. Um, but, you know, there are good pr- provisions. Like, for example, in the State Department Appropriations Bill, it's called State and Foreign Operations, they do legitimately defund the WHO. But here, here's the problem. There, there, there are several issues. Number one, we could, do, we, we could do and need to do a lot better. I mean, we're, the spending cuts need to be much deeper, and the policies need to be better. Number two, there's no confidence they're going to stand behind them. Because what they're doing is they're just quickly just getting it off because they have so few days left before not just August recess, but even October 1st, given all the time they have off. So they're not messaging it properly. It's like even even good amendments that get get passed, part of it is to message it because a government shutdown brinkmanship is a is a PR war. And they're doing it very quickly. Th- then also they have a lot of um problems because the conservatives want one thing, the rhinos want another thing. So like they're starting off, they're bringing to the floor this week transportation HUD and MILCON, military construction, and those are viewed as less controversial within the conference. They'll get passed, but a lot of them they're going to be at loggerheads. They they need to work this out and do it in a way. You, you got to take off the August recess. That's my opinion. If you are very serious about doing this right, otherwise it's not going to get fully done. And by the way, let me just give you an example of, of some of the problems. So some of the bills are good. Some of them are bad. So transportation HUD, the transportation part of it is actually pretty good, pretty deep cuts. And they defund some of the global warming stuff with infrastructure, transportation. Um, I haven't gone through all of it, but the HUD part is terrible. What they're using is these rescissions. They're rescinding money that hasn't been spent in order to plus up what should be cuts to certain departments, but then they they take away the cuts. So HUD basically it has the same record high spending. Their draft would provide $68.2 billion to HUD, essentially preserving the record high baseline for a department that should never exist. I, I want you to understand where we are. HUD spending was as low as $38 billion, almost a half, in FY 2017, Obama's final year. Remember, like, Obama with Freddie, Freddie and Fannie and where that was, like, a big part of his admin, like, the crazy HUD spending? Even adjusted for inflation, that's $49 billion. <clears throat> okay? That's insane that Republicans are okay with that level of spending. Record $31 billion on Section 8. increase from last year's spending. Section 80 is a tool for social transformation, increased crime, reducing property values, promotion of implementing the left wing's gerrymandering of the suburbs. And also, it's just literally a get-out-the-vote effort. A lot of the private vendors that get HUD funding literally fund Democrat victories in two ways. Number one, they, they strategically get... Democrat constituencies into swing counties all through HUD funding. He's like Unidos USA is one of those organizations. Um, and then just in general, those organizations get a bunch of free cash that they use for get out the vote efforts. So these are the type of things that need to be sorted out. This is what governance looks like. I promise you, This is the only show you will hear this degree of presentation. I diagnosed the problem of debt and the economy and inflation, gave the messaging of how they should give it over, 
the strategy and leverage point for them to implement it and then stand behind it. My concern is if they just kind of do one-off, like, oh, yeah, yeah, quickly do it, they're going to cave. But if they got together as a conference, fully controlled the narrative throughout the August recess, and said, we are doing our work, we are passing all 12 bills, we're having an open amendment process, we're going through each area of government and going through the problems and we are funding a budget reflects your values we're going to fund the values of the american people we're going to defund the things that that are responsible for woke and weaponization things that are responsible for you know pornography and taking parents out of their school decisions like for the department of education we're going to defund the border invasion we're going to defund pfizer we're going to defund all of this insanity that is causing you to not be able to afford any any items that you need for food and fuel, all of this. Your Republicans aren't even making the case that we are now happy with a permanent baseline of $3.60 gas when it was $2.40 when Biden took office. Oh, it's good because it's not at least at least it's not $4.50. But even that level, it's only coasting at this, which is insane. Because of Biden's rate of the Strategic Petroleum Reserves. That's now pretty much tapped out. So it's the only direction it will go is up. Make the case. And do something about it. And that yes does include the Trump indictment. That's what governance looks like. I want to play a quick clip here. From DeSantis in South Carolina at what a forward-looking agenda looks like. Play about 40 seconds here. Take a listen to him at this town hall in uh, South Carolina. President Trump's term, and you look at all the things that were positive that were done, almost all of those were reversed by Biden on day one. You know, the court stuff, there was a couple of things for sure, but almost all the other stuff was reversed. And so if you don't have two terms, I don't think this stuff sticks. I don't think you can slay definitively the administrative state if you don't have two terms to make that stick. Because if you do it over one, um, you know, they're going to come in and they're going to wait you out. So, so the two terms, I think, is very important to be able to uh, cement these structural changes. So, folks, you heard that. He talks about the need to serve two terms. Notice what he what he says, that you need it in order to get it to stick. And this is what I love about it, because you could point to things in a vacuum. We did this. We did that. We did. It. But name me one thing that is durable. Obama, Obamacare is still preserved. His big legacy items were not erased. But and this is not just Trump, but every Republican presidency. This is the problem we have. We can never make it stick. What DeSantis is doing in Florida, is not just that he's doing a bunch of good things. He's doing a bunch of good things in a way that structurally and culturally and legally, mechanically, public policy-wise, denudes the left of their mother's milk. A friend of mine told me he, that the governor told him this when he took office. I'm going to identify there's three sources of power they have through education, labor, um, that 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 the Democrats feast off of, and I want to permanently nuke it, so that it to make it as permanent as you can. I, I see the Trump people making fun out of him that he's bo- boring, a nerd. You know, in a certain way, depending on the connotation of nerd, they're not wrong. He doesn't wake up and look in the mirror and promote himself every day. He thinks, what could I do to? systemically and permanently change things. Now, I think it's kind of limited what you can do as president. But imagine if you had that as the paradigm, governance rather than grift. So down the ballot, we would stop accepting in states where we don't have to worry about the media and the Democrats. We'd stop accepting all this nonsense. And let me give you a great example of what I mean when I say this is about... This, this was going on long before Trump, and it's going to continue beyond him, but he's a reflection of it, unless we change the game. This is an article from Politico. 
a red state boosted public health funding by 1,500%. This is how he did it. It's referring to Indiana and Governor Honeycomb, that dirtbag, disgusting biomedical fascist, literally a Democrat. Holcomb pushed a 1,500% increase in state dollars to local health education, sorry, local health departments through the GOP-controlled legislature. By the way, they control the legislature one branch, three to one, the other one, four to one. It also marks a notable deviation from the approach the Republican Party has taken to public health. And basically, it talks about how they're going to sit and promote the biomedical security state, how Indiana will be every bit as bad as freaking California with four to one majorities in the Senate in a trifecta. How does that happen? It happens because we don't have Tucker and everyone on down focused on people like that and calling him out every day and building and spending your money on, on, on ground game legislative strike force teams to focus on this. That's how you have it. You see what I mean? This is what happens when you have but the Democrats all day. Ironically, you get the Democrats in all of your territory. Your states still have that. That's what needs to change. That's what I resent. Theoretically, it shouldn't matter who you support for president. Because we should all be able to get together and say, this is the strategy at the federal level. I just laid it out. All of these red state legislative sessions we should be preparing for. Instead, everyone's going to be focused. Obviously, you can imagine January is the beginning of the primaries. So no one's going to be focused on the legislative sessions. But that is so, so, so important. And, and, and let, me, let me punctuate that with a point about Tucker. Tucker, so Tucker was at toilet paper as well. And I'm trying to dig up this quote here. So Tucker was saying that there's a reason why they fear Trump more than anyone, and it's because of Ukraine, and that's why they're going after him. Here's what he had to say at, at the toilet paper uh, conference. Take a listen. Disgusting. And that is exactly what, in the name of American leadership, this administration, with the full participation of the Republican Party, is foisting on the world. And it's insane. Yeah, well, I have to say, you know, whatever you think of Trump, he's pretty clear on this. And they hate him for it, actually. They hate him for it. And if I can just say, the foreign... So, folks, here's the deal. It's absolutely not true. And, and here's, the, here, here's the proof. The Republican Party has not changed under him. Eric, ironically, DeSantis is the one who's standing out. He is the exception. Eric Holcomb in Indiana is the rule. I mean, he's particularly obnoxious. But most governors are more like that than they are like DeSantis. That's what they're doing. Even Kim Reynolds... For the best I can see, she has not taken the Department of Health and turned it into what Joseph Latipo, Dr. Latipo did. You know, it's it just not. No other state has done it, but Eric Holcomb is an animal. The reason is because Trump signals and is a reflection, both cause and effect and reflection, and is it, he signals to the movement, this is what you focus on. But the Democrat, MAGA, Democrat, Oh, a terrible the media. And meanwhile, so you're sitting and, you know, smooching with the cheerleaders. You're sitting at the on the sidelines, you know, having fist fights in the crowd like you have in some of these, these football games. And there's one team on the policy field, on the governance field. There's one team. It's the Democrats and the Republicans, which is the same team. So you could talk about Trump could say all the comments he wants about Ukraine engagement is stupid. They'll still do it because he structurally has not put into place any movement to change it even within the Republican Party, much less defeat the Democrats on it. And ditto for every other issue. And that's even before we get to the fact that, that Trump preemptively endorsed 95% of these incumbents so that we couldn't even 
hope to dislodge them. So before Trump, there was a 10% chance you could beat them. Now, with Trump's endorsement against you, there's a 0% chance. That Indiana story is so important. It doesn't have to be that way. Folks, like I say, if we merely, you know, let's say we were like, oh my gosh, worst case scenario, there's too many brainwashed people, the media is too strong, the Democrats are too strong, their ballot harvesting and ballot cheating operation is too strong, so we can't win Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, maybe even, you know, Arizona and Nevada. But there are still about 25 states and very much 2022 states where if we just merely focused our our money, effort, time, communications, pressure on our own sphere of influence, you could extirpate illegal immigration, crime, trannyism, green energy grift, biomedical security, and even somewhat begin interposition against weaponized federal government and protecting liberties at a red state level. It is so achievable, even without changing hearts and minds, without having to win, you know, the 50-yard line states in a national election. And yet we don't do it. Because there is no ideological core to a shred of the so-called conservative movement. There just isn't. I'm sorry to say it, but there isn't. And then they're always a day late and a dollar short. Notice how every time the issue matters and the way it matters, notice those of you who followed me from day one, how early on I was on to exactly what was going on with illegal immigration and even legal immigration. The fentanyl stuff. Crime. I was literally the only one saying, you're going to reverse the crime. You're going to have a crime wave. Everyone's like, nah, crime is record low. We need criminal justice to form. Imagine being me and then watching my colleagues somehow hijack those issues when it's too late just to superficially promote themselves and Trump and jujitsu it into a black hole. And that's what it is. It all becomes about, see, when you don't have, when you're not busy with an ideological core, you could latch on to anything and you will latch on to anything. To me, I'm so busy every day. I don't have the time to even scrape the surface of all the projects, the issues, the, the strategies, the ideas, state and federal, you know, pick kind of our top 10 issues that affect liberty, economy, security, culture. And, you know, we're, we're just trying to produce substance and not just abstract, you know, egghead, you know, white paper substance, but substance that's going to drive a specific outcome. So, I'm not going to be taken in by this or that or this or drift into this is cool. But that's what my colleagues do. And that's how a guy like Vivek could just be like, take them all. They write articles on him. I saw something yesterday. Something like Vivek said, you know, uh, Kamala Harris has an un-American agenda. Like, wow, that's profound. I mean, no one's ever said that. Vivek reminds me of the king and the duke and Huckleberry Finn. If you get the reference there, just kind of like this like fraudulent preacher just comes out of nowhere. And now finally people are digging up like even last year, his tweets. I mean, he was against Trump. He was called a a disgrace what he did on January 6th. He uh, biomedical security for sure. That's his bread and butter. um, Biomedical fascism, a complete fraud. But he's the perfect comedic relief for conservative media. You see, Here's what my here's the predicament predicament my colleagues have. Let me let me explain to you where where they're at. They need to toe the line with Trump. They cannot afford to cross him in any way. But but they do have this depending on who they are, a little bit of a tinge of guilt that they have to show a little bit of substance. You know, they have to kind of recognize some sort of, you know, shortcoming in Trump like, you know, you just complained about the vaccines but he just pimped it. But they don't want to say Trump is being horrible on vaccines. So what they use is for comedic relief, they hang their hat on RFK and Vivek because that doesn't threaten Trump in any way. Vivek, you know, RFK is in a different primary and Vivek 
officially is in the primary, but it's but not only is he not a threat to Trump, but he's indispensable in being used as a false flag against DeSantis and to suck out the oxygen in the room. So that's that's what they're doing. I'm telling you, notice it. Watch the alacrity to which they'll find any moment to gobble up anything they say. I mean, you look, a lot of people have pointed out to um, DeSantis has said a lot of, he broke a lot of news in that town hall. I forget what city it was in in South Carolina yesterday. And today he's in introducing his plan on the military, how to reform the military. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, we'll talk about that maybe maybe tomorrow. I mean, look, even at my own outlet, I don't know how many articles have been written on DeSantis, maybe zero, unless it came from me on, on this stuff. I mean, there might have been a few, but it's like nothing he says matters. Nothing he says. But Vivek could be like, Kamala Harris is un-American. Oh, man, I, I, I don't know what we do without that. Utterly pathetic. And, and, then, and then, again, what happens when you don't focus on governance, but it's grift? You create a movement built off of that. So you either have, what's happening now is either you have the same old McConnell people, which is actually most of them, or if they're not and you beat the McConnell people, you're going to beat them with a guy like J.D. Vance. And J.D. Vance, what he's doing is, he says some things we all agree with, like the anti-interventionism stuff and the neocon stuff. And part of the part of the reason is because that's easy, because the military industrial complex, yes, it does show up on the campaign trail, but it's mainly an inside game, their power, whereas a lot of the domestic policies that those industries really influence. So that's harder to fight. So he's righteous on that, but he's just pure populist, not free market populist, not conservative populist, but populism is ends to itself. So it's like. It's and whatever. This is a whole other discussion. This whole like big government thing where you come full circle, and you know we all recognize there are certain things wrong with the kind of you know DC conservatism, but then they kind of go full circle and they throw out the baby with the bathwater, and they just sound like a bunch of big government losers. So that's kind of his shtick. So anyway, JD started attacking DeSantis, and he basically says, and there's no self awareness. It's the same thing of the people that go and say. You know, I'm sick of these people that are cowardly to meet with Tucker. I'm supporting Trump. And, and they'll say it with a straight face. So it's the same thing. He's like, you know, DeSantis' social media influencers are terrible. They're insufferable. And that's why I can't support it. So I'm thinking like, okay. I don't know who his influencers are. They're not paid for sure. And they have nothing, to, you, you can't control the messaging that every last person who supports you, to every Tom, Dick, and Harry with like, you know, modest 10, 20,000 followers, I'm talking about a million followers, says. But yeah, I mean, I would say some people who support him aren't on my message. Like, they'll kind of hit Trump a little bit too much from the left, not only from the right. Like, some of them will pick up on things they shouldn't pick up on. But I'm like, JD, name me. The Laura Loomer equivalent of DeSantis. Who is that guy? It's all policy contrast. Yesterday when someone asked, uh, you know, uh, DeSantis about Trump, that famous video everyone's seeing from that town hall that where she said, my heart's with him, but I know that you're really the way to move on. And he said, look, I really give Trump a lot of credit for things, but moving forward, really, you know, we got to, we, you know, we got to implement things. He always is very respectful. It's not just bearing false witness. It is a, man, I almost said the F word there. It is a freaking blood libel. It is a blood libel. I mean, he cannot be more respectful, keeping it to contrast on policy. Trump has called him the worst things. And you're saying the reason you're driven away from DeSantis is because of the tone? Are you... Blanken kidding me, JD? This is the vapid nature of these SOBs. This is what we're going to breed more of if we don't change the arc. I'm sick of it. And again, you're going to have a lot of log cabin stuff going on. A lot of log cabin Republican stuff.
the trannyism, I promise you, it is going to be more accepted among that movement. Who is the paradigm Trump candidate? So again, to be clear, 90% of Republicans, especially if you get towards the statewide positions like U.S. Senate and governor, are McConnell Republicans. And Trump endorsed most of them. But even the few that rise to the point where they defeat the McConnell one, they're not our type of people. And who, who, who would be the person? Carrie Lake. And I will tell you, Carrie, I mean, I'm not putting words. She said we need to move away from the culture war. Meaning as if we're the ones creating the culture war rather than the left and we're just staunching the bleeding. And then when you look at her donors and top staffers being part of the log cabin Republicans, one of whom literally room, was a roommate of Bruce Jenner, that is very disturbing. But that's what happens when all you're doing is, I'm jousting with the media. The media sucks. Okay. But you could still hold the position the media sucks, but if you don't have an affirmatively righteous position, you could say the media sucks and we should stop the grooming, but then you'll be fine with Bruce Gender because Bruce Gender also says the media sucks and supports Mitha Trump. And that's just where it is, folks. It's funny, I didn't even get to a fraction of the issues I wanted to, but governance... Versus grift. Affirmative, positive beliefs with a commitment and a plan to implement them? Or commentating about the left and belly aching as an end to itself because it's very profitable? And therefore, that's going to tether you to the person, movement, or idea that becomes your meal ticket. And therefore, you will be willing to accept and even promote things that are antithetical to what you say you support. And folks, that's just not who we are. That's not how we roll. You come in a circle that is literally, at its most basic allegory, third grade understanding of Animal Farm. That's Orwellian. You come in a circle and you wind up supporting the very things you said you support. I don't just mean the the the, the tactics like, oh, we don't want to be as evil as it. No, I mean literally the policies. Like not like, oh, the left is vicious, so we're going to be vicious. You know, I'm not opposed to that, you know, when it's done correctly. What I don't like is some of this just nastiness as an end to itself. Like again, people think... Like there's there's certain this is also part of grift versus governance. People think that if you're not like what's that guy's name Andrew Tate, if you're not like being crude with women, then you're like a David French or Mike Pence. That's the false dichotomy that we're being, you know, promote that we're being entreated to. And that's why they look at a guy like Mike Penn, like like um, Ron DeSantis, and you see this, and they're making fun out of him as if he's like a Mike Pence type of Christian conservative. But in fact, he is ruthlessly implementing what you say and claim to want. You're like, we're sick of the Chamber of Commerce Republicans. This is the only governor in our generation that fought the Florida business interests, every one of them, from day one. And was willing to lose over it because he understood we have to break their power. And they're like, they, they literally will say he is a Chamber of Commerce Republican because they define Chamber of Commerce Republican by your, your tenor. So DeSantis is a Chamber of Commerce Republican because he is loving and committing to one wife for the rest of his life. That's like, that's like a weak man. That's not masculine. It's better to have four wives and and have a bunch of concubines and hookers. That's the way. Mind you, you could, I mean, Trump's signature accomplishment was tax cuts. And I I, I did a bunch of shows at that time. I was like, dude, that's just not the issue. That you're wasting budget reconciliation on it. It is so Orwellian. He literally 
was on the same side of the Chamber of Commerce with endorsements 95% of the time. But because you have the movement of the Andrew Tate, that's anti-establishment. We don't need these rhino, you know, globalist, neocon, cuck, Chamber of Commerce guys like DeSantis. That's what happens when you have no affirmative ideological core. And that's just the way it is. Folks, email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening.